Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 19 of Three Point Podcast. Helping us out tonight are the great folks at Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, and our podcast recording home, Z92.5 The Castle. I'm Ted Fattel of Z92.5 and Sportsnet Michigan, and also the elder statesman of this trio. On the phone is Matt Burns of ESPN, and he's our middleman. And I'm joined right here in the studio by my nephew, Jared Fattel of WJSZ, and our resident millennial. You love that term, don't you, Jared? I do. It, it just shows you how young I am. That's exactly it. right. You should love it. We'll also be joined later on by our oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Also checking in will be Adam Stanko, formerly of ESPN and currently making a living out west with the Pac-12 Network. We'll talk some NBA and Kentucky Derby action with him. Before we get going too far, though, guys, I want to send a big thanks out to John Fattel, my brother, filling in last week. His appearance apparently propelled him all the way to the superintendent seat, superintendent seat at Corona High School. How about that? Yeah, it's awesome news. Congrats. I just learned before this podcast that I, that was our most listened uh, podcast so far. So do you think that was because you weren't present, or is that because of the guests? You know, that's a 50-50 for sure. Now, I was trying to analyze that myself. Was it because John sat in for me, or was it perhaps that we had a big-time college coach in Tony Anise? Yeah. I don't know. You weigh it 50-50. <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough call. It's I did feel call. a little bit like Wally Pipp. Do you know who Wally Pipp is? I've heard that saying before. I don't know who that actually is. Uh, well, young man, that uh, that is the guy that uh, decided to take a day off and allow Lou Gehrig to take his place. And that was about 2,100 games later, Lou Gehrig finally sat so down. So basically like Tom Brady, like taking over for Drew Bud, so just like exactly old, oldie. You give uh, up your seat, you give up your spot in the lineup, you never know what's going to yeah. happen. But, hey, guess what? I'm back here, fellas, back from vacation, and I'm recharged. I was vacation, by the way. You know, it was outstanding. It's the first time I've ever been to Key West, Florida. Um Man, I'll tell you what, that's a sight to see. Uh, it it kind of reminded me a little bit of New Orleans with a little bit of Las Vegas flavor to it. Uh, a, a lot of people watching. Uh, my first time in a, in a nightclub actually watching. No way. Well, no, not, let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. Watching uh, uh, a, a tranny trio. I mean, singing like Supreme's music. Yeah, three, uh, three guys uh, dressed in drag, but they were, they were outstanding. Nice. Good drinks, good food. Great drinks. Happy hour, uh, $4 margaritas at that particular place. The food was outstanding. Uh, I mean, when you're down in Key West, if if you're a seafood fan, you got to get the fresh seafood because it's just mouth-watering, you know. It's just tremendous. Yeah. Now, was Key West, was that, uh, did they get hit by the hurricane last year? I'm trying to remember. They didn't get hit as hard as some of the other keys. In fact, uh, the first part of the week we stayed at a a key called – Isla Mirada. It's about halfway down the Keys, and we stayed at a resort right on the Atlantic Ocean. In fact, I took a picture with my wife and I, and it looks like it's a fake background. It's so stunning with the palm tree and the ocean behind us, you know, but it was it was right there at the ocean. But they got hit real hard in the last hurricane. Key West really didn't get hit all that hard. I mean, they got hit, but uh, their business, businesses all stayed open, and they you couldn't even tell they had any hurricane damage when we were down there. All right, so that's good to hear. I'm, I'm glad you got your uh, your batteries recharged and you got to see a good show. Yep. Was well, this was this a work uh, trip or was this a just a straight out vacation? It was kind of a combination. I had to go down for a little uh, little training for a company we represent. Uh, you know, my all my expenses were paid, so I decided to take the wife. You know, we'd have a cheaper vacation that did way. You, did you close the deal or no? Of course I did. What do you think, young man? <laughs> We'll leave that right where it's at. Now, guys, we're here to talk. Wait, what was, what was, 
<laughs> what was that supposed to mean? It's <laughs> a little innuendo. <laughs> we'll again leave that alone. Uh, you know, we're here to talk sports. We're here to also maybe throw in a little pop culture. But, guys, since we're talking about my vacation, looks like the Michigan Wolverines on a little bit vacation, uh, doing a little team bonding themselves, huh? Yeah, they're over in uh, France right now after they went to Italy last year. So, so it must be nice um, to be on the football team, not only to get to play for Michigan and represent that university, but to get to take these trips. Did I hear that Jim Harbaugh's like getting some flack for going on this trip? Oh, he's gotten flack from day one when he's when he's put these together. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I can't believe other colleges haven't already set the same thing up because it's an ideal thing. It's a you know, if you go to play for the University of Michigan, they're not they're not really concentrating on a lot of football on this trip. It's it's more of just a kind of a team bonding and uh, you know get to know the players better and also see some culture. I don't see anything wrong with it at all. I think this is one of more brilliant moves by Harbaugh. I think so. I think that's why one of the reasons that he's catching flack is because it's it's one of those things, just like the satellite camps, that, that he's kind of initiating. He's one of the first coaches to do this kind of thing. So I, I wonder if part of it is that other coaches are wondering why they didn't start this because it, it's all it's within the rules, and, and Harbaugh has talked about it. There's nothing illegal he is doing, um, but it's, it's after spring ball ended. So, you know, players are, or other coaches are saying that he's he's – getting to spend more time than what he's supposed to with his players but like you said they're not necessarily practicing this is more team building and it's one of those things like it's they make so much these players and and the coaches but they make so much money for these universities and for the conference and everything if they can get one trip over to italy or over to france paid for by the university I, i think that's okay yeah, I think you just answered my question. I was just thinking about who does foot the bill for this. Where does this come out of? The athletic fund, uh, the general fund, do you know? I did actually. I read an article today, and it's it's mostly it's donor-based for the most part. Ah. Um, so it's not it, the University of Michigan. They might cover some expenses, but they're not paying for it out of their pocket or it's not coming out of the athletic fund. So, I mean, it's, it's donors, and it's probably, I mean, it might – some of the players or families, they might have to pay for some of their expenses too, but it's not anything costing the university any money. So I, I don't, I really don't understand what, what the, the gripe is. And right. It's one of those things, Marty Smith, uh, the Marty party for ESPN, <laughs> he's, he's went on both trips and he's one of the biggest, biggest advocators for it. He said it's such a, a life-changing experience for these players. So I, I, I think it's a cool thing. I heard that he, some people were upset that he wasn't at home, like watching the draft with his players, like the guys that were getting drafted. That's what I heard. Really? Yeah, well, he was at the he was at the he was in France. So, um, you know, when the draft was going on, they were on their trip. So, so that was part of the criticism he was getting. You know, you see James Franklin with Saquon Barkley right there, and some other coaches with their players while they're getting drafted. And Harbaugh's over in in France playing paintball and and doing those things with his current team. So, I mean, I I can understand that criticism, but but part of it is, I mean, this is when the schedule worked out for this trip. So. So it kind of it is what it is type of thing. I mean, he's he's spending time with his current team. Yeah, not only that. I mean, they could easily if let's say Michigan had a top five draft choice from their team, they could easily set up a video feed for Jim Harbaugh to be a part of it that way too. You know. Yeah, and speaking of video feed, I saw that he he did some recruiting here. He's been doing some recruiting over there. Um, he did some like video chats or Skype or whatever with with some guys that he's trying to recruit. So. So I mean he he's not stupid. He knows what he's doing. I mean it's it is a recruiting tool too to say, "Hey, look at this. We're recruiting you to come to Michigan and right now my team is in France. So if you come to Michigan, you might be able to take a trip like this." And did did Shea, Shea Patterson did he go on the trip or was he back at like a, in in a courtroom or something? Like he got cleared. Did he got cleared. Yeah. 
he's cleared he's playing and yeah he's over there i uh i actually yesterday i listened to the jim harbaugh the the podcast that he does attack each day i don't know if you guys listen to that but i've heard of that yeah i haven't listened were, to it yeah it, it's a pretty good podcast and they're so they're over there right now doing it and they they talked to a bunch of the players over there and patterson was one of them and chase winovich and sean McCune, the tight end and they, they talked to a bunch of players and just asked them you know what what do they think of this trip and they're all just saying that it's amazing they're getting to go to normandy where d-day was and and go to paris and see the eiffel tower and all this stuff so i mean it's one of those things and even and parents are on the trip with them too so it's something that like it, it's a life-altering experience it, it's there's nothing bad in my opinion that's coming out of this trip that just kind of gave me a chill right there you know as i've said many times on this podcast i'm the old guy well when i do retire my wife and i are going to make a trip to europe and you know normandy is one of those spots that i think is a must see for anybody uh, that's an american for sure i mean you think about it what D-Day was all about, and and if you're standing there on the cliffs looking over the ocean, I mean, I've seen film of it, but if you're actually standing there and looking out there where the Americans come and storm the beach, the Germans are all hunkered down, just firing them at them at will, I mean, it just got to give you chills to see something like that. I think so, and it's it's probably one of those things that it's, it, you don't you you can't appreciate it unless you're actually there and and seeing you know the the landscape and seeing everything that the at least what they had to go through go through as far as coming out of the water and running up onto the beach and everything like that it's it's probably i mean it's it it probably gives you chills just to think about it if you're there right no i i don't think i need to go i had uh, the next best thing what saving uh, private ryan no <laughs> uh Pistol P. Hornus, he gave me a description of what happened on those days and the speech that Nick and East used to give before oh, yeah. games that get your guts up, I guess throw it before you hit the beaches. Yeah, Nick was there actually at, at D-Day. He was, was he was part of that wave of soldiers cool. storming the beach, yeah. It's crazy, I didn't know that. That would have been a good question for you. If I'd have been here, I might have been able to help you out last week with Tony on that one. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's pretty cool. No, I'll have to ask about that. Well, you know, we, we don't want to get too deep into college football because it's it's really not the season, but we do have to talk a little bit about Shea Patterson. The NCAA finally gave him the green light. We all know that now. Um, you know, it's it's more things going to happen down the road in these types of situations. I think it's the fair thing to do. But all of a sudden it does it puts a, puts a big flag on Michigan with Patterson there. And, you know, I don't know if you just give him the job, but it definitely gives him some depth there at quarterback. Yeah, that's a loaded quarterback room for Michigan right now with with oh, Patterson man, are you and me? Brandon Peters and uh, Dylan McCaffrey and then Joe Milton, the the freshman that came in this year. I mean, those are all extremely high recruits, and and there's there's no shortage of talent in that QB room. So now it's, it, I think this year is a put up or shut up year for Harbaugh. I mean, he's got the experience. You know, last year was maybe a building a rebuilding year. They they had some inexperience at certain positions and stuff. So now those guys are back with experience. The defense is just going to be absolutely loaded. Don Brown is one of the best defensive coordinators in in the country, and you know you got you finally got quarterbacks. So I think the only the biggest question is the offensive line and how they're going to perform. But I, I don't think there's any excuses this year for for Harbaugh and Michigan. So what would you consider? I saw that they're over under a set of eight and a half wins. What would you consider like a successful season for them? I mean, I, I think it's got to be over because if if you go under eight. That means you're losing to what Notre Dame, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan again, Michigan State again. So if, if you go the under and, and you're at eight and four again, you're still losing to the rivals, and and that's just that's not going to cut it at Michigan, especially with all the talent they have. So so you've got to go over because you've got to start winning these rivalry games. The way I look at it, you guys know how I feel. Beat Michigan State, 
Everything else icing on the cake. We just need to beat Michigan State. Yeah, I, I, I agree. That at this point, even though Ohio State, in my mind, still is the Michigan Wolverines' biggest rival with what's gone on in the last 10, 15 years with Michigan State, they got a red letter that game maybe right there at the top. I do think for Michigan to have a successful season, they got to be at about 10 wins, and they got to win two of those rival games, I think. You have to, and, and it's you know it's one of those things. Like it, it's a tough. Their schedule this year is tough. They play at Notre Dame, at Ohio State, at Michigan State, uh, at Wisconsin, I believe. So I mean, a lot of these road games, it, they're those are going to be their toughest games. But it, it's time to start winning these games. I mean, you you can't make excuses anymore. So especially Michigan State, you you cannot continue to lose to Michigan State and claim that you're the better program in the state. Yeah, it's it's the that's a brutal schedule for the Wolverines. And can you also see with what they do have at quarterback, they got to give McCaffrey a chance. I think somewhere along the line here, if he's as good as all the accolades were, Peters, he's got a little bit of experience now under his belt, and Patterson, he's really the guy to beat out. But do you think he maybe gets a little bit more along the line of Saban and have a real short trigger? I'm at Saban in the championship game, and and not put up with a lot. It's if it's me, it's Patterson or Bust. Just ride with him. Just ride with entire, him. He's the starter. I'm kind of feeling the same way. If I mean, he came here and you know had to go through all this process to get his uh, eligibility cleared and everything. I mean, unless he is just absolutely terrible, which I don't think is going to happen, I think you just got to ride with him because right now in the the way too early 2019 uh, mock drafts, some some draft boards has him have him as a top ten pick. So I mean, he he has all the talent in the world and. And he can, he can leave after this year if he wants to because he's, he's three years removed from high school. So so this might be his only year in Ann Arbor. So you got to ride with him. You, you brought him here. you got to see what he can do. Boy, oh, boy, you guys are really putting all the eggs in the basket on him. I, you know, I, I have a hunch he's going to be all right, but, I mean, look how good uh, and all the accolades they had for O'Corn. Okay, you have a few bad passes. Wilton Spate, he played pretty well, and then all of a sudden he has some bad passes. What do you do all of a sudden if you're saying you're going to ride with him and he throws two or three interceptions in a game? There's no one else. (laughs) Peters. They all got scholarships, Jared. McCaffrey has his, I think I have bigger arms than he does. Okay. I guess we'll find out. There's nowhere else to go in that room. Mass said it was a loaded QB room. That's not how I see it. Loaded as far as five four-star recruits? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm wondering who's going to be the one guy left out because it seems like Milton might get a red shirt, and he, I mean, he came out and said that he can throw the ball 85 yards, so that's just incredible, <laughs> and he's like six foot six. But I mean, I'm wondering who, if, if Patterson plays this year, who's going to, who, who technically is the backup? Is it going to be Peters, McCaffrey? I just, it's going to be a good competition for sure. It's going to be a good competition. I got a feeling at least one of them is going to leave again after this year, don't you? Hey, you got to wonder because the only one guy can play. So. That's right. All right, guys, good stuff there, and uh, we're going to be talking with Adam Stanko here in just a moment, but I want to remind our listeners that Rivals Tap House and Grills, the spot to meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 TVs. I know, Jared, you're thinking about going there this weekend, aren't you? Yeah, it's my uh, cheat meal. I don't know. I... <laughs> Cheese balls, onion rings, fries, and a burger. I'm not, I don't know what burger yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Great, great food there. Also pizza, if you're in the mood for some great pizza. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill, located on the corner of Shiawassee at M21 in Corona, one of our great sponsors. All right, guys. So uh, I guess we'll go ahead and bring in our, our next guest on, uh, on Three Point Podcast. His name is Adam Stanko, and I, I met him up in Bristol when we were both working for 
for ESPN. He currently is living on the West Coast, working for the Pac-12 Network, and and we're uh, we're glad to have him on. And maybe we can get in some hoops hoops talk. Uh, how you doing, Adam? I'm good. I'm good. How's everybody doing over there? I'm jealous. You're out on the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, Bay Area. Oh, I've, I've always wanted to ask somebody those. That's a, so. What time is it there? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's four twelve right now. Awesome. That's, we're we're a few right. hours ahead of, ahead of you, but um, but yeah, we'll we'll get into some hoops talk, some NBA playoffs. But I I have to ask you the first thing since I've got you on the line here. The ESPN Basketball League, it's a legendary thing. The EBL. I tell a lot of my friends about it, and you know I got to play against uh, guys like Chris Mullen, Jalen Rose. Jay Williams, Doug Gottlieb, got to play against Mr. Big Shot, Chauncey Billups, and one of the best players I ever played with and against was Adam Stanko, one of the best point guards I ever ever got to play with. I mean, I tell some of my friends about the EBL, that it's one of the most competitive intramural or, you know, rec league basketball leagues that I ever played in. You know, what what do you remember about the EBL? Oh, it's, you just brought up some fond memories, and I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was amazing running with you as well. We had some, uh, we had some dominant games. As a, as a backcourt, um, but I I think it's all about the competition. I think just it was you know you had a bunch of former high school and, and college players that were just um, not willing to to hang up their sneakers just yet, and they wanted to you know get some final runs in in, in their career, and just you couldn't um, temper the uh, competitiveness from from the guys out there. And it didn't matter as you bring up. Like I remember. You know, you expect a guy like Doug Gottlieb, coach basketball's all-time assist leaders. You think a guy like that is going to come in and just dominate, and uh, certainly wasn't the case. I mean, I know his team didn't win any championships, at least while I was there. Um, you know, guys just were fighting and scrapping, and you know, you had former yeah, D2 kids that were playing that were good, and, and former high school players, and uh, just I, I remember guys probably taking it all way, way too seriously, but it was. think there was some uh, reliving the glory days going on but but it was a blast and I mean that that was the biggest thing to me was the competition was was a high level so so yeah I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because because the EBL man it's a legendary thing it really it really is and and uh yeah I mean, Ted and Jared may not may not realize I know that this is you know I think of this podcast as, as some of the great Michigan athletes of all time um which is why I was excited to to jump on but um uh, you know, Burns got, got heated. I mean, that that's one of my fond memories. I mean, game after game. I don't I don't know if that was the way uh, you were met back in high school. Um, you know, on the football field or on the basketball court, but certainly in the EBL, I, I remember you just getting ultra heated, and I loved it. No, that same fire. When you say heated, was it sort of like you know Spike Lee heated? You know, watching from watch from the stands, or was this, was he in the games? He was playing. He was <laughs> playing getting I'm mad just... at the refs, mad at teammates, mad at the opponents. Uh, that that sums you up, right, Matt? Yeah, I, I lost my cool a couple times. I will say that. So, <laughs> not, I mean, I'm not proud of it all the time, but you know, I just, I, I, like you said, I wasn't ready to hang up the sneakers yet, so I wanted to get a couple more runs in. That's, that's Cavalier competitiveness, right there. That's what it is. Uh, Go Cavs, Adam. I saw. I was doing some research on your Twitter, and I saw that you said that Chris Mullen once praised you for slipping a screen. W- would you care to tell that story? <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, actually, it was um, that was one of the cool things about about working at ESPN, as uh, I'm sure Matt has, has laid out for you guys. Just as he mentioned, you know, all the guys you play with in the league, and then just the other guys that you would come into contact with and have these unique experiences. You know, I, I have a bunch of stories just meeting random people in the bathroom alone. 
but I, I was uh, one day just sitting at home on uh, one of my off days, and I got a call from a buddy of mine who's a, a producer. He used to produce. Uh, his name's Greg Pike, and he used to really, really good basketball player. But he uh, used to produce inside the NBA actually before coming to ESPN, and then he did a lot of the NBA shows at ESPN. And Greg called me and said, "Hey, you know, Chris Mullen and, and John Barry uh, want to go play some two on two. Are you down?" And I said, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I drive out quick enough. It was uh, one of the highlights of my, my entire life. Um, you know, I have three children, and I don't know that any of their births were as exciting as playing two-on-two two with, uh, <laughs> with with a Chris Mullen. But, uh, yeah, Chris Mullen and I were on the same team, and uh, Pike and, and uh, John Barry, and those guys could still really shoot it. And it was just a cool experience to be able to play with them. But we went to an L.A. Fitness. And we were playing half court, and I don't even think the other guys in the LA Fitness knew who these two guys were. You know, they just probably figured out really quickly that that those two bigger, bigger dudes, Barry and Mullen, could really stroke it. But yeah, we ended up playing two on two, and, and one of the first plays I had in the game, I remember, I looked like I was setting a, a screen, and I flipped the screen. He, he tossed me one of those patented Mullen no look passes, and I scored. And he's like, "Oh, this kid knows how to play." He's flipping a screen, and I. I was like, all right, I, I could have died right there, and my life would have been, <laughs> no, would have been fine. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a great experience. I don't know how we lost to Pike and, and John Barry. It, it, I don't like to bring that part up. You know, you play with Chris Mullen in a two-on-two game, and you lose. Yeah, um, yeah if I had to blame people watch. <laughs> if I had to blame on who's that loss, uh, I would have to say you, Adam, because I I've never even heard of John Barry. Is that bad? Who's John Barry? Oh, he was a, he was a pretty good player, really. Played for the Pistons for a little bit. Oh, yeah. okay. He, he's a good player. Brett Barry's brother, Rick Barry's son, Brett right. Barry's brother. Um, yeah, he was he was a really good player, at Georgia Tech. Is Rick Barry still a presence out there in the Bay Area? You know, he, his reputation is not great for for people out here. You know, he was this huge figure. I mean, you talk about a guy who won the Finals MVP back in the day. But yeah, in terms of like current, you know, the current Warrior fans uh, are all about this current team. But certainly, yeah, I mean, he's such a legend. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think he had the best reputation with the fans. No, he was in love with himself for sure. I'm the older statesman here, and I remember watching Rick Barry. He, he was a heck of a player, but, man, was he in love with himself. <clears throat> but let's segue to Golden State and, and the kind of team they've got. And now they got Steph back in the fold. I mean, they're unstoppable, aren't they? Uh, they're pretty special. And if you saw, I mean, any of this game last night, it was uh, spectacular. It, I think I think Steph Curry is the best shooter, uh, certainly of my lifetime. Uh, I think he's the best shooter who's, who's ever lived, just because of how he shoots. Yeah, he may be. Like, like uh, the way he shoots off the dribble is what what blows me away. I mean, we've had great shooters of all time. You go down a list of you know top three point shooting seasons in NBA history, and he dominates that list. Clay Thompson actually on there a bunch too. But you know, Steph is is just sensational, and when he's in the fold. The rest of those guys, I mean, he really is that that coach on the floor, leader on the floor. Even though he's not maybe what you think of that traditional pure point guard, he just gets other guys involved and he stretches the floor. And I always say it's almost like when he's out there, um, the other guys are kind of playing four on four. And, and anybody that's ever been to an NBA game knows, like, when you see an NBA game up close, the thing that shocks you the most is just how big these guys are. And so the court is really small. Mm-hmm. And to be able to space the floor because he can shoot it from 30, it, it turns the rest of the guys into a game of four-on-four, four, and I think it's so easy for them, you know, the, the Durants of the world, the Clays of the world, and um, Iggy and Sean Livingston, all those guys to get open looks. And 
it, he just he just makes everything flow. So they were good without him. They were not not great, but they were good with him. They're unbelievable. I I, I think the Rockets are going to win the oh, NBA wow. title. I really do believe that. But I think you hear that, Matt? It's crazy that. right now. <laughs> so you talk about the Rockets, and clearly you must think pretty highly of James Harden. Oh, here we go. But I personally, here we go. This is the, I feel like we've it, it's, it's teed it up. It was teed up. It, it was, was teed right, right up for you. I personally think that James Harden is more talented than Kobe Bryant. What your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, it's, it's, Kobe's very near and dear to my. Both those guys are near and dear to my heart. I have, I have sort of backgrounds with both of them. Kobe Bryant played in in my district in high school, District One, Southeastern Pennsylvania, which is like all the suburb schools in Pennsylvania outside of uh, in southeastern PA outside of Philadelphia. Like so, you know, it's the section of Philly, it's section of Pennsylvania without Philly being included in that mix. And at the time, Kobe was there. Uh, Rip Hamilton, Matt Carroll, uh, Jameer Nelson later came up through there. Uh, John Salmon, so, there were a bunch of just NBA players and NBA talent. But Rip Hamilton and Kobe ended up battling for like the district crown, and they were both McDonald's All Americans. And I, I had first heard about Kobe when he was, I think, a sophomore in high school. Uh, my buddy played on a, a summer league team with him, and. Later that summer, he was telling me, hey, there's a kid that's, like, getting a ton of notoriety. He's Jelly Bean, Jelly Bean Giant, I mean, Jelly Bean Bryant's kid, who had played for the 76ers, and they said, this kid's unreal. He dunks everything. It wasn't even about his skill set at that point. And then Kobe, as a, as a junior and a senior in high school, he was the best player in the country, him and, him and Tim Thomas. Um, so watching him play in high school and seeing what he did and what he was capable of and then Obviously, watching his career in the NBA, I I have a great appreciation for not only him as a player, but just his work ethic. Donovan Mitchell was talking about it the other night. Like, if you talk to NBA guys, like Kobe's work ethic is just legendary. Guys, he'll tell guys, "Hey, meet me at the gym tomorrow at 8 a.m. We'll go work out." Guys will show up at you know 7:15, thinking like, "All right, I'm going to get here, you know, and I'll be here ready for him when he comes in." And they'll show up at 7:15, and he's already there in a full sweat, like that. People tell that story over and over and over again, that just his, his work ethic is just insane, and I thought just how he was as a player, you know, his offensive proficiency was incredible. But uh, Harden's special, too, man. My brother was a manager on the ASU team with James Harden, and uh, I, I just think how particular he is in terms of his offense is incredible. I mean, his shooting ability and then his ability to get to the hoop and draw fouls, and he's such a good passer, his vision, and, he, and he's so poised at all times. I think the difference between the two right now is that I think Kobe was just a much better defensive player and had this killer mentality. And I think this playoffs is a big. Uh, I think this is going to determine a lot about whether Harden can start to be in the conversation with with the likes of Kobe. I don't think he's there yet, but I think in terms of showing it in the playoffs consistently, it's a great series against the Warriors, and then doing it for a few more years. I mean. I'm not saying it's impossible for Harden to surpass that, but I, I wouldn't put him there now. I mean, I don't know how many all-defensive teams Kobe was on, but I want to say it's like 13, and James certainly is a defensive player isn't anywhere near there. One of the big claims that, that Jared makes when he tries to make this argument is if you put Harden on those Lakers teams that Kobe was on with Shaq, they would have made the same run. Do you agree with that? So, like, do you think Harden's skill set, if you just basically replace him on those Lakers teams, that it, there wouldn't be any drop-off? You know, I love the what-if game. <laughs> and it's funny you say that because I was playing it with uh, with some guys earlier this week who, who had the same exact type of questioning with uh, 
you know, hey, LeBron James is the only player in the, the league currently who could have um, who could have won that series against the Pacers. If you replaced him with anyone else in the league, it wouldn't have mattered with that Cavs roster. They would have lost the Pacers. And I said, I disagree. I think you could have replaced Harden with with LeBron, and um, I, I said Steph as well, and, and KD. But I, I think you know what's really unique about him is that like. Yes, he would have been awesome with with Shaq and you know those other guys, Derek Fisher and Rick Fox and and all that worry and everything. But I'll tell you something like Kobe's ability down the stretch to close out games. You know when you couldn't even keep Shaq in the game or at least give him the basketball because he couldn't make free throws. Kobe took games over, and that was the you know we see Harden do it now, and I think he's such a special player, and I think he's so unique. But we haven't seen him do it consistently, and certainly not in the postseason. So I think all of a sudden go to that those lengths and say, oh, this guy would have won multiple titles if he was playing alongside Shaq. Kobe had five titles, and, you know, he also uh, was able to win without Shaquille. So, yeah, they were dominant teams with the Lakers. Kobe took care of business. Harden would have to match that and then some and prove it on his own. So, if he, again, I, the only way I think we can answer that question is if he does it now with the Rockets and, you know, even try to guess. But I think, I mean, Again, I think Harden has a lot of work to do to even to even start to pose that question. So, yeah, for the young buck, I'm going to say no on that right now. He's not there yet. Maybe he will be. I'm not denying it, and I love him, but I don't think he's there. I now. thought you were going to be you were going to ride with me for a second there, but <laughs> it, it's all right. You, you'll see. You'll, you'll all see. Hey, hey, Adam, this is Three Point Podcast, and let's keep it on the trio topic. We've had this mm-hmm. debate. We've had this debate before. Uh, you know, look at the modern era of NBA basketball. Is it pretty much a done deal that LeBron and Michael are head head to head, one and one A, and Kobe's maybe a notch below? Or how would you rank those three? Wow. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm I'm the Jordan guy first. Um, oh, gosh. You know, first and foremost, and and again, look, I love Kobe and followed him my entire career, and I, I saw Kobe play in high school. I saw uh, I cover. I worked for a high school sports show. Um, that we did national stuff. I probably saw LeBron play live in high school about, I don't know, eight times maybe. I saw some really great players play in high school. I saw LeBron face Carmelo in high school. I saw guys like Dwight Howard play at Southwest Christian Academy in, in Atlanta. Um, so I saw some really, really, you know, future Hall of Famers uh, play at the, at the high school level. But I think Jordan was just spectacular. I mean, you look not only the ring obviously, and then and, and his record in the finals, which was just special. But if you try to go back in time and think back to that era and just think about, you know, how scary he was for opponents, you just always felt like MJ was going to take over the game. You didn't know exactly when, but he would, and whether it was on the defensive end or, or certainly offensively. You know, we all think about the shot he hit against the Jazz. There's the, you know, the flu game. We think about him scoring over 60 uh, in a loss to the Celtics, um, you know, all those iconic moments, the shot over Elo. But I, I just think the fact that Jordan kept expanding his game over time, and I think the people also forget about him is when he first came into the league, you know, he left after his junior year at Carolina. Like, MJ was, he was kind of like a 6'6 Allen Iverson. He was quicker than everybody else on the floor. And actually, LeBron was like that early in his career, too. But Michael Jordan was the quickest player in the league, and no one could stop him off the bounce. We all think about the Air Jordans and you know the Mars Blackman commercials, and I mean, well, um, maybe Jared's a little too too young. No, for that, Spike but, Lee, like, right? But you know, you think about his dunking and and what Nike did in terms of selling the, the slam dunk and 
you know, his dunk from the foul line and all those the dunk contests and everything. But really it was his quickness early on that was just unbelievable. So when time went on and he started working with Tim Grover and, and worked on his core strength and, and became one of the strongest players in the league, then he was mentally one of the strongest guys in the league. The strongest, maybe mentally the strongest player we ever played, and started adding like a three-point shot to his game every summer. It was what can I add to my game? What can I add? Which LeBron has done too. I just think Jordan's still unmatched. I, I think LeBron's strength and his overall skill, I think, is special. There's no doubt. I think he's one of the greatest passers I've ever seen. His his size is incredible. Defensively, he's locked down different guys in the playoffs. We saw what he did against Derrick Rose, his MVP year. You know, like LeBron is can do so many things on the basketball court, but when it came to winning games, I don't think there's been a better competitor or a guy with a better work ethic. I mean, I was just talking about Kobe. I mean, Michael was like that as a player, and that to me is what puts him like just on another level from LeBron. And I mean, what LeBron does is an all-around great. I, I don't think it can be denied. But I just think Jordan just took over games and one thing one things himself. He also, as his career went on. He figured out a way to become a better teammate, and it's weird because you almost see that effect with LeBron now. Like, you know, nobody scored 20 points in that Cleveland series against the Pacers other than LeBron, you know, for the Cavs. And I, I think it's because guys get caught just watching him and, and sort of watching him play bully ball on occasion. But, I mean, you're talking about two of the greatest ever to play. I put Jordan first. I think LeBron, I don't know. It's, it's weird because there's a recency bias, and we're seeing what LeBron's doing now. Uh, in his 15th season, but I, I think that, you know, it's hard to forget Kobe. And I also put, you know, when we're talking about modern guys, Tim Duncan right there, too. I mean, I think Duncan's a quiet superstar. Yeah, I agree with that. His resume is pretty special as well. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, good get here on this guest. Adam knows his stuff. Let's keep it right here in the NBA. How how you looking at it right now, Adam? I mean, is it uh, going to be anticlimactic after the Houston and Golden State probable uh, conference matchup? You know, is whoever wins that the NBA champion? Yes. <laughs> Pretty know, simple answer there. Short answer, but but I do think that I look. I, I don't want to say that you know the playoffs are anticlimactic in general because you know we're going to see the Eastern Conference. I think it's anyone's guess who who's going to come out of the East. I, I it changes from you know quarter to quarter basically. You know, watching that, I my thought is that whoever wins the Raptors Cavs series, I think wins the East. But I only think that because I think the Raptors are actually, if it's Philly, they end up playing. I think the Raptors are, are a good challenge for for Philly. I, I don't think the Raptors are winning that series, though, at this point. I thought it was a must-win game one, and yeah, they, they chose that one away. And I, I think Boston and Philly are the future of the NBA. I, you know, Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid are, are transcendent guys. I think they're both going to be Hall of Famers. They're right now the favorites to land Kawhi this offseason, but even if they don't end up with Kawhi Leonard, then you know, they could end up with a big-name free agent, or they could just keep putting you know shooters alongside those two guys, and those two guys are only going to get better. So as long as they stay healthy, they're going to be unbelievable. And then you look at, at Boston's future, you know, whether we talk playoffs now or just the future, and, you know, I mean, they don't have Gordon Hayward or Kyrie Irving, and yet Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, Terry Rozier, we see what he's doing. That core, plus Al Horford, their all-star, you take that core, and then you look at the assets they have, the Celtics are going to be unbelievable. They could trade for Anthony Davis. They could decide to make more draft picks with Danny Ainge. So I think... Boston or Philly is going to end up in the Eastern Conference Finals, obviously. But when those teams, after they do that, their their future is still incredibly bright. But I think 
it's going to be tough to you know for anybody to beat LeBron and the Cavs. But um, I have no idea who's going to win the East. My only guess is that whoever wins that Cavs Raptors series comes out of the East. But I don't think any team in the East or any team other than the Warriors or Rockets has a chance to win this NBA uh, championship. Whose whose future would you rather have? Would you rather have the seventy? Would you rather be the Seventy Sixers going forward or the Boston Celtics? Usually the answer is you want to go with whoever's got the best players, right? And I think you could make that argument that Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid, in spite of how great Kyrie is, I think that yeah. guys are going to end up as the best players. The only thing is, in today's NBA, I think it's all about who is your executive, who's your GM that's making your personnel decisions. And so look around the league at who dominates just as far as teams go. Everyone always thinks it's the top players, but... You look around, the Spurs have R.C. Buford running things, um, Sam Presti at OKC, Daryl Morey with Houston, Pat Riley with, with the Heat. The Pistons and, with Stan Van Gundy picking <laughs> Luke Kennard over Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is a whole other one that, that we get into. But I, I, I think the biggest thing, though, is I look at Danny Ainge, and I think the guy just always wins trades. And he, to me, is, is an incredible executive. So... In a way, the fact that they've got Kyrie and they were joining this core, and then you look and say, all right, they've got Rozier, they've got Marcus Smart, Tatum, Brown, as I mentioned. There's still moves to be had, plus the assets that they have in place in their draft picks. I mean, this guy, Danny Ingen knew he wanted Jason Tatum at number one, didn't want to pick Markel Fultz. He knew, he knew that Fultz and Lonzo Ball were in high demand. Trades the first pick for the third pick and picks up a draft pick along the way and ends up with the guy he wants and a draft pick. It's unbelievable how he just fleeces the league. Isaiah Thomas, okay. Oh, boy. Trade him away and end up with Kyrie Irving. So I just think Danny Ainge gives them, even though the Sixers, I think, their future's unbelievably bright with Simmons and Embiid. And I, I couldn't love Ben Simmons more. I just think that anytime Danny Ainge is running things, I, I, I'm trusting that. But – who knows? You tweeted, uh, when I was looking at your Twitter, I saw that you tweeted back in, it was actually pinned to your profile, it was your number one tweet, that you, back in 2014, you said that Ben Simmons was going to be, you know, the next, the next, like, great player in the NBA. What did you see in high school that, you know, obviously led you to make a pretty good prediction? Well, I, I think I think the biggest thing basketball-wise that's, that's so underrated, and maybe it's because I, I, I'm so enamored with the, with the point guard position, I've just grown up with a love of, of point guards being a, a little guy myself, I think it, it's, it's vision. I, I think vision is the one thing that's just incredibly rare. You know, there are great shooters. You're always going to have to find great shooters. You're always going to find guys that, that are incredibly gifted athletically, uh, guys that get after defensively or have a great motor. But it's so hard to find guys with just elite vision. And I just – and the flair that Ben Simmons and the vision that he has and seeing plays – you know, two, three steps ahead of everyone else. I mean, it sounds cliche, but he really does. And he was doing it back then. And so when you're making passes that sort of get your teammates open, that's just a different kind of guy. And there aren't that many of those that come around. We, we see great scorers all the time. You see guys that can average 25, 30 a game in college. But it's that vision that sets, that sets certain guys apart. I mean, Jason Kidd was like that, just a unique passer. Steve Nash, LeBron has that that rare ability, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Ben Simmons has that same quality. He just sees plays sort of before they happen, and because of that, he can play even at a slower pace, and it allows him to be patient. And then you throw on top of that his size, being a guy that's you know, now 6'10", 6'11", he's going to fill out as well. 
the one area that you can improve, actually, is your ability to shoot the basketball. When you get with a trainer, when you start working at it during your summers, you can become a great shooter. And so Ben Simmons obviously can't shoot a lick right now and still, you know, got shooting over 50% for the playoffs because he, he is able to get to the rim and you have to respect his passing ability. And then the other part of his game that I think just blows me away is his ability to finish. I mean, that's... He, he drives on guys, and if you have someone that he gets by, if he gets a step on you, he's going to finish, whether it's you know with either hand or dunking the basketball. And I, I, I think that's also extremely rare. The guys that really give him trouble are the guys who are actually a little bit smaller and stronger. I think that's why Marcus Smart is, is the, the Celtics' best bet. It's not trying to match him size-wise. It's more trying to find guys that gets lower center of gravity, gets in his gut, and can uh, take away that first step. And you know, but just his passing ability, I think, is the thing that I saw really early on that I thought, this is so unique. This guy's going to be an incredible player. Adam, like I said, you know your stuff in the NBA, and we could do a whole podcast just with you and talk in NBA. What I think we'll do is we'll get you on maybe when we get a little closer to the finals and, and break it down. But we don't want to let you go tonight without talking a little Kentucky Derby action. I know, Jared, <laughs> you you got some questions. 100%. So I guess just top of the line research here i was on your tw- twitter again and i saw that you do you have a horse that raced in, that is racing in the derby like the shanghai Scar- starlet is that a, is that your horse's name no no we have some background so my my family my dad um it's it's, it's funny service so my dad grew up outside of uh, albany new york is connected in new york is the name of the town actually went to high school with pat riley but he grew up going to the the track in in uh, upstate new york saratoga you know, he loved it. As a kid, he started going at like eight years old. He had a uncle who was a bookie and, you know, would take him to the track. And he, he fell in love. So he loved horse racing. And he ended up becoming a mathematician. You know, he was he's an actuary by trade and worked his way up in the world of reinsurance. And they insure insurance companies. But he's always been, you know, a statistician, a numbers cruncher, you know, a, a guy that uh, really thinks about odds and does it, did it professionally, you know, it, it, in terms of his mathematics skills. Mm-hmm. So, but he always loved horse racing, and part of the reason he fell in love with math was because he was at the track and calculating odds um, and value and things like that. So as he, uh, as he got older um, and started to make it in the, the business world, you know, his love of the track never left him, and then he started getting involved in um, handicapping big time and, like, really trying to figure out. He, he Years ago, years ago, when I was a kid, he wrote, you know, before anybody else was doing this kind of thing, he was writing computer programs for um, for odds, you know, for different horse races and stuff, and he ended up like being very successful with that. But he just had this job professionally and as a reinsurance guy and, and ended up, he's now a president of a reinsurance company. And my dad is, he'll be 69 this year, and gosh, maybe 12 years ago, he realized that he wanted to take his love of horse racing a step further, and he started um, getting involved in trying to, you know, with a few buddies, like, buy a horse, a racehorse, and had a few of them that were, like, unsuccessful, and then hit on this one. I mean, he, he had a horse, and she was incredible, and her name was Princess of Silmar, and she ended up winning the Kentucky Oaks. So oh, okay. it's run on Friday before the Derby at Churchill Downs. Mm-hmm. The Derby is the top three-year-old horses in the country but the Kentucky Oaks the top three-year-old fillies so uh, she was 38 to one long shot she won that it was the top 10 play on Sports Center that night and then she oh, ended wow. up winning a few other huge races 
And so it's funny of my dad, and you know, he's in his mid sixties, and he ends up this back in 2013. He ends up becoming, you know, he's people have him on as as radio guests, <laughs> uh, you know, podcasts, and TV shows, and all these things. He like he got this level sort of a this small level of fame, and in, in, in this later stage of his life, it was the coolest thing to see as you know, as his son um, after he won the Kentucky when he won the Kentucky Oaks, this huge horse race. I, I just remember he brought my uh, my daughters up on the podium, and you know, with the jockey and the trainer, and they they interviewed my dad, and there was this huge press conference at Churchill Downs. There's like 50 members of the press in this room, and I'm in there like watching with my little girls on his lap, you know, next to him on the podium, and it was the coolest moment of my entire life. And and so horse racing has been a big part of our family. He's had some some other horses, so he doesn't have any horses in this in this Derby. We did have a horse in the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, again, a couple of years ago, they did not win. But uh, the trainer that he uses and that he's become really good friends with is a guy by the name of Todd Fletcher, and he has a few horses in this derby. So if you see any Todd Fletcher horses, that's who I would tell people to uh, to put some money on. And an I interesting like thing to note is um, the Kentucky Oaks, which, again, will be on Friday, always the day before the, the derby. At the Kentucky Oaks this year, there's a horse that uh, a friend of his, is part owner of, and that horse, the other owner of that horse is uh, is Rick Pitino. Huh. So um, that Rick Pitino has a horse running in the Kentucky Oaks, and people have, don't really know that right now. Yeah, but, he's, uh, he's riding that one right out of town. There you Rick, go. Rick Pitino, he's <laughs> very fast. Very fast. <laughs> but, so did you end up cashing in on those 38 to 1 odds? I'll tell you this. Not only did I, not only did I cash in, but... My, I, I have two brothers. My entire family was down there, and we brought a crew of about 15 people, some of, some of my brother's friends, some of my friends, some family friends. We had about 15 people that went down to this race, and it was awesome. It was, you know, there's like 90, 95,000 people there, and everyone that we were with had at least $100 to win on this horse. Wow. So, so that's about $4,000 that we each cashed. Some other people had more than that, and great story. After we win this thing, again, one of the greatest days of my life. I mean, it, it was the most incredible thing. Look, at, You can look it up on YouTube after we're done the podcast. The 2013 Kentucky Oaks, she, she makes this crazy comeback uh, down the stretch. She, she just had this crazy burst at the end down the home stretch and, and wins this race. And Again, she turned out to be a sensational horse, but no one knew it at the time except us because we'd seen her in previous races. But she wins that race. Next thing you know, my dad's being interviewed by Bob Costas on NBC <laughs> Sports. It was, it was just this wild moment like that, you know, just mad rush and everything. We all go and, and, and go to the ticket window and we cash. And, you know, my brother and my dad, not only were they, did they put money down, but they also had taken bets from, like, people at their office, you know, that they worked with that are right. like, hey, throw down 50 for me, throw down 50 for me. They're cashing all these other tickets. We all end up going to dinner that night at Buca de Beppo. <laughs> Kentucky Oaks is the running of the lilies. They 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 have this um, almost like a cape full of lilies that they that the horse they put over the horse. You know, the, like the bridal gown uh-huh. um, almost over the horse, and and so that was spread out on the to this long table that like fifteen of us are sitting at at dinner, and we started talking to each other at the at at, at the table, and we realized that there was probably like. $125,000 cash altogether at the table um, because so many people have put these bets in. And the best part was that my brother and some of his – had brought down some of his friends who had never been to the track before. And so all these guys did was put down like 100 or $200 to win on the horse that was ours. It's the only thing they knew to do. 
And so they had never been to the track before. Next thing you know, they're part of this whole party on the infield with Bob Costas, all this stuff <laughs> for 90,000 people. And that night, they all go out, and they're partying. I had a young family, so we, we stayed in, but, but they all went out partying. And that night, one of the guys was so drunk, he got kicked out of the bar because as people were walking in, he had so much cash in his pocket, he was handing people $20 bills as they walked <laughs> into awesome. the bar. So, uh, one of the great memories of, of, of my lifetime. But, uh, yeah, so then the next day they went to the Derby and watched that and had fun. And we all flew back. My dad was in all the newspapers and wow. stuff. It was a really cool moment for the family. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty so, awesome. So were the mint, mint juleps flowing? I've actually heard that the mint juleps are overrated. Is that true? Are overrated. They are oh, overrated. No. They're they're fine. You got to get one, but yeah, nothing nothing that special. Just being at Churchill Downs in itself is something that you guys should check out. And, and to do the Kentucky Oaks, even more so than the Derby, is like an amazing event. Just because it's the it's you know it's uh, the run for the lilies, and it's all about the Phillies, the females, and they try to raise money for breast cancer awareness and so everyone there you know the women are in pink dresses the men are all you know pink bow ties and, and regular ties and uh pink suits and it's just a really cool event to be at it's it's uh it's a lot of fun i i, I can't recommend it enough i don't know if you've ever been but uh churchill downs is a special place now uh, that's a bucket list for sure i was at the belmont but uh oh uh, yeah there you go but it's very similar in the atmosphere, I'm sure. Well, listen, we could we could burn another couple hours, but we're running out of time. Well, you got another question? Go ahead. So I've actually had this debate with a lot of people, and people call me crazy. I would rather go to the Kentucky Derby, full regalia, uh, sweet suit and all, than go to the Super Bowl. Would you agree with that claim, or would you rather go to a Super Bowl? Well, I, I would agree with that. I think especially if you haven't been, there's nothing more it. exciting than the Kentucky Derby and, and um, just the amount of people there and, and – the energy around it. I mean, you know, Super Bowls have been overrun now by corporations and stuff. You know, the guy. There's not a lot of buzz in the building. You know, arena for a Super Bowl, and it's you know, those aren't. You know, look, you have a lot of diehards that spend a lot of money to get there, so they're excited. But it's sort of like a neutralized crowd, and and it's not as fun. And meanwhile, the Kentucky Derby is just. It's awesome. And and honestly, all the, the Triple Crown races are great. The Belmont Stakes is a lot of fun and, and the Preakness. Um, but there's something about Churchill Downs. It's a special atmosphere and just that many people. Um, they're all dressed up. The women are dressed to the nines. All these drunk college kids. They didn't feel like the race, too. And then the buildup. The other part of it is there's just a buildup throughout the day. Um, where you know that race is the end of the day, and so like this this build up as you're just waiting in anticipation. It's it's a pretty cool experience. So um, to have been to Churchill Downs and experience all that stuff, yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, definitely make that bucket list uh, item before before uh, Super Bowl. Can can you confirm or deny? I've heard that it is MILF Central there. <laughs> confirm or deny? I can confirm that that is the truth. I, I'm going. <laughs> Jared's I'm there. Going. The talent, the talent, both on the track and off the track. It's pretty spectacular. And, oh, and, and man. I am down. sold. That moves it up the list. Yeah. Don't act like it doesn't move it up the list a little bit for you. Oh, I said I'm, I'm <laughs> right with you, buddy. I think we ought to have a three-point pe- three pod uh, excursion down there someday, huh? Yeah. There we go. I'll join for that. All right. <laughs> All right, Adam, we really appreciate you checking in with us, and, and definitely uh, you'll be getting a buzz back. Uh, good stuff tonight. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate uh, the gambling tips. I will be following. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good one. Man, great stuff with Adam there. He knows his stuff for sure, and I'm really looking forward to the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, Jared. How about you? 
I'm going to have some money down. We'll see. (laughs) I want to talk further with you about that. But right now I want to tell our listeners about the Corona Connection. That's a direct mail paper sent to all of Corona, Vernon, and Shiawassee County parts of Lennon. You can also pick up a copy of the latest edition at many Corona businesses and Kroger. Like them on Facebook, and you can view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. And they also are a big sponsor of a big event happening in Corona, the Amazing Race, Corona style. That's going to be May 19th. Uh, Many people out there watch the Amazing Race on television, but this is going to be uh, Shiawassee County's own version of it, May 19th. That's going to take place 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock at McCurdy Park. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Money is going to be going to a great cause, and that's Corona Connection putting that all together. Okay, next up, let's see what's going on again with our pod's oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Well, hey, Fred. Uh, hey, guys, how you doing? Uh, Fred, uh, looks like it's not a bad week for the Patel family. I guess you were, what, out in Jamaica or wherever <laughs> the heck you were. And, uh, and I guess your brother John just was uh, awarded superintendent of maintenance, which after what he did to Jake over there at the field, I understand why they want him in charge of keeping law and order out there. So that's, that's good. So congratulations. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to start tonight by uh, talking about the report that I read on CNN about Philadelphia Phillies Hall of Famer broadcaster Mike Schmidt. Do you remember him, Teddy? Yeah, I remember him, a third baseman for the Phillies back in the day. Absolutely. He's what I'd call a man's man. Well, anyway, this whole politically correct movement we got going on in this country, it's got him cowering like a dog. (laughs) On Monday, a day after a discussion about a pitcher's injury apparently veered into sexist territory. Schmidt was talking about Atlanta Braves pitcher Brandon McCarthy's separated shoulder and mentioned a vicious tweet from McCarthy's wife Amanda joking that her husband still can't do the dishes after the injury. Oh my goodness. (laughs) At that point, Schmidt told NBC Sports Philadelphia audience, well, I have a dishwasher at home myself, my wife. Well, first of all, come on, people, lighten up. First of all, Mike Schmidt needs a better sense of humor. He pulled that one out of the 60s. I'll give you that. But certainly, it certainly wasn't offensive, in my book anyway. So come on, as men and women were created different, but were also created equal. There's nothing wrong with a woman cooking dinner and cleaning up the dishes, and there's nothing wrong with a man mowing the grass or taking out the garbage. We're letting the dog wag the tail. Hey, Ted, when's the last time you did the dishes? Uh... I'll plead the fifth. All right, good enough. But anyway, for every one chauvinistic pig, there are nine husbands out there who respect and adore the woman and their wives. And for every one racist cop, there's nine dedicated, courageous, great ones. Come on, America, lighten up. And as far as I'm concerned, if Schmidt's wife did not take offense to the joke, neither should we. Looks like you need to be a professional comedian nowadays to get away with stereotypical humor. My goodness, it's crazy. All right, I need my blood pressure medicine, guys. What do you guys have on staff there? Settle down. Just take a drink of water. You know, you'll be fine. All right, all right, here we go. All right, so next on the NBA, uh, Jerry, are you you with us there, Jerry? 
I am with you, unfortunately. Let's see, let's see uh, what you got. Good. Okay. I want to start out by, well, wait a minute. I was going to apologize until that smart like comment, but I can <laughs> handle that from you. All right, listen here, you young lad. I was pretty vehement in my defense of Kobe Bryant when it compared to Harden, and I still stand by the fact that I would take Kobe when you look at his long career. But I've been watching a lot of NBA lately, primarily so that I can give my fans listening to the Three Point Podcast my opinions. Now, truth be told, guys, at 89 years old, I don't have a lot of loyal fans. Uh, by the way, I'd like to give a shout-out to Harold and Jimmy down at the barber shop and all the fellows down at Village Coffee Shop in Bankrupt. But now back to you, Jerry. So what I'd like to say is, okay, I've been watching a lot of Harden, and I will say he is one dynamite player. And if he continues at the pace he's on now, I may be willing someday to say I was completely wrong. So, you know, you got to give me credit. That's at least I'm leaning a little bit towards your way. What do you think of that? I appreciate it, but I'm not sure what your word means. You probably think you're out there watching uh, Kareem and whoever the heck. <laughs> George Mikan's still out there running the court. <laughs> what a turnaround. Well, wait, wait, wait. We're talking Kobe here. You're the one that wants to put me back with watching Koozie Dribble, which I do like that video <laughs> with him going around in circles like a dog, you know? It's coming pretty cool to me, and he's quick. He could out-hustle you. But anyway, all right, let's go. I want to talk about the fact that today's athletes are bigger, stronger, and faster. Absolutely. And we love that, of course. Who doesn't like to see our Detroit Tiger Cecil Fielder hit a home run up into the upper deck or watch six foot eight, two hundred and fifty pound LeBron James manhandle his way to the basket for a thunderous dunk? But you know what, guys? Maybe I'm old. Well, we know I'm old. But I think we're missing a little bit of the team element in sports, especially in NBA basketball. Back in my day, the team moved the ball around the court. And with today's day, uh, game, they just clear out everybody and say, okay, LeBron, take it to the rack because we need a point. That's why, I hate to say this, guys, but I like the women's game better, especially college. Typically, they do not dunk. And it's fun watching teamwork with all five players working with precision and timing. And the younger generation, you guys, Jerry, you must be entertained with bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors. I'm convinced the baseballs are juiced, by the way, guys, to give us fans more thrill of more home runs. To hell with that. I can't stand it. Give me a pitcher's duel with the same two pitchers going nine innings in a one-to-one tie going into the ninth inning. That's drama. Those days are long gone, as Ernie Harwell used to say. And how about a football game, guys, with two smash-mouth defenses in a 7-7 tie midway through the fourth quarter? That's drama, and that's entertainment. And on that note, I think I'm going to grab a cold beer, sit on my front porch swing, and watch the Chi-Town sunset while Jerry and his friends look up sunset on their smartphones. Well, as always, Jack, right on the ball. We always love his appearances here. Uh, on, on the ball, I guess, is one way to say it. <laughs> and speaking of the ball, I mean, can you guys believe what a spectacle the NFL draft has become? What do you... I mean, what, I mean, in a good way. I mean, okay. it, they've just got it hyped up to the max. I mean, it was in Texas at Texas Stadium, uh, showtime all the way. I think the only thing I would probably change up on it, and this is my, my view into the entertainment world, instead of having Roger Goodell out there getting booed mercifully. I knew you. Well, what? listen, just let me finish. 
I think they need a host, like a comedian or somebody that can work the crowd and that's a professional if they're going to put this kind of production on. That's my opinion. Okay, sure. now you can sure, Kevin sure Hart out there Mike, Mike. Not Kevin Hart. First I've had thing. enough of him. <laughs> <laughs> he is all over everything. I've got a sick of him, too. Sounds like you just listened to uh, Mike and Mike. Is that what they talk or, about? Uh, Mike Greenberg. He said the same exact thing. Well, we, we I do like Mike Greenberg. I respect his opinion. But Don't no. act like you know that's where you got that. No, from. it isn't. You just came up with that. Yeah, but booing Roger Goodell is like the best thing about the NFL draft. I, that's hilarious. So, so you his you get entertainment out of value out of hearing everybody boo Goodell. Okay, one time I'll give you that. But constantly, <laughs> you're laughing saying it. You know, it's funny they do it. But every wouldn't time. you rather see somebody that knows what they're doing? Jimmy Kimmel, somebody like that, somebody that really knows how to host those things. That, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to have a host. I do think it's hilarious hearing Goodell get booed all the time because I'm kind of sick of him too. Fidel Goodell, as as Poppy from Highly Questionable says, but <laughs> it, it would be it would also be fun if you had a you know someone like Jimmy Kimmel or if it was a little more entertainment be- hosting. Best of both worlds: have Goodell announce the first pick, get booed uh, to oblivion, and then have a host after that. Okay, I could live with that. I could compromise on that one. You, you're saying you didn't like hearing him get booed when he brings up the little the Cowboys and he has that corny little oh, joke that he's probably been planning for it three just, years. It just bores me. I, I I'll be honest with you. I, you, you know it's coming. No, I just I could do without it. <laughs> I, I am a fan of a good booing, okay. so I, I definitely what do you appreciate guys, it. What do you guys think of all the like the former players and you know all that kind of stuff going on? Do you like that? Some of it. I, I, the Lions could have maybe picked somebody that really was known more for his career in Detroit than who did they pick? Nate Burleson. Nate Burleson. Nate he was Burleson. going on forever. I mean, I, I liked it, his message about Detroit and hard workers and all that it was cool, but it was kind of like. Nate Burleson, the the best known thing that he's that he's known for as a as a Detroit Lion was getting in a crash and getting injured trying to pick up a pizza that fell off the seat of his car. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's like I didn't know that. That's a funny story. I think he was a little lit too when he was up there. I don't know if you noticed that. It seemed like it. <laughs> so, what did you think of the Lions like draft? I, after I sat back and digested it. I thought that was the the only way they could go. I thought they got a pretty a really good deal of the number two, the the running back from Auburn. I, after looking at his stats and and realizing how good he is, I think that was a solid number two. And then watching film on uh, the guy from Arkansas, Ragnow, man, why not build that offensive line even stronger? Because it, let's face it, if the Lions are going to do anything in the Matt Stafford era, it's got to happen in the next couple of years. So, hey, protect the dude and maybe add some run blocking. I thought it was a pretty good draft for the Lions. I think so, and that, that's how I felt with the Ragnall pick. And, you know, he, he's an SEC kid, so I, I've heard a lot about him the last season. He didn't he, – he's, he's the best center in the in the SEC, maybe in the country, and and it was one of those things he, he's versatile. So they're, they're saying that he might play at guard. He could even play at tackle if he wanted to. So, so I, it seems like that's like – you know Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia, the the former Patriots. It's like the Patriot way of drafting linemen. These these versatile guys that that can move around if you need them to. So he's graded as the best center in, in the draft. And and some guys are saying that he might end up being. He could even have be Pro Bowl potential as a rookie. So so that's pretty cool. And that that's exactly how I felt. You've got this a franchise quarterback and. You need to protect him, and if you want to win, he's in his prime right now. You, you need to have a better offensive line. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that's pretty much just what it comes down to. Do you trust Matt Patricia or don't you? If, I think this You is have to. Just, yeah. You have to. What, what choice do we have? I, but I did see Mel Kuyper rated the Lions draft as the worst in no the kidding. entire league. Really? Yeah. It's all in up. the league or just the NFC North? I, 
maybe you've seen that. Was it just the NFC North? I, I heard I, that it was the I league. I thought he graded the worst in the NFC North. He may have graded the worst in the league. Who knows? Oh, God. It's all for talk. You know, it's, we'll see what they can do. All I know is film can be a little bit deceptive, but some of the film clips I saw of uh, Ragnow, he looks like a stud, man. He's big, and he can pancake people, and he can run block. That's good enough for me. I mean, he didn't allow a sack his whole career playing in the SEC, so that, that's not too bad. I like how you're saying that you've been watching film. Is that just you watch, like, the highlight when they get drafted? Of course, them? the highlights, <laughs> yes. What else? <laughs> It's one of those things, too, like, you know, everything we talked about, it, everything people talk about with the Lions is they have to improve their run game, and part of improving the run game is improving the offensive line. So, so I, I, was, I was fine with that pick. You know, by the way, I, did, I, I got a chance to listen to you guys last week, an excellent show, I thought, even uh, despite me not being here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought that uh, Jack Strap, how about that? Baker Mayfield, he predicted number one overall pick, and uh, what do you, what do you guys think about that with the Browns? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't think they should go quarterback because it seems like they swing and miss all the time with quarterbacks, and they just signed Tyrod Taylor in, in the off season, who, like I said, he he's not he's probably not a Pro Bowler, but he can get the job done. So I think they should have got got Barkley and then got a, a defensive player with the with the fourth pick. So. I mean, I, I hope I think Baker Mayfield could be a good pro. I just don't know if it's going to be in Cleveland. Do you think there's anything to the rumor from his agent saying that the Patriots were looking to move up in the draft to draft him? Yeah, I saw that. I mean, no. I don't know. It seems like around the draft, there's all this smoke and mirrors type of stuff, all these rumors and and trades that might happen. So, uh, who knows? I was a little surprised they went with a, a DB at uh, their yeah, no, at the number four spot. That did seem kind of crazy, but. but- they were still able to get Chubb out of Georgia, though, with their first I like pick. him a lot. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the Browns did pretty well in their draft. It's all going to hinge on Mayfield, and I might be – I think you – I know how you guys stand and, and what you think. You think he's going to be another Manziel, right? I think he's going to be really good. You think he's going to be good? I love Baker yeah, Mayfield, I do too. Though. Oh, okay. I thought it was – I thought a couple weeks ago you said something different. I, I think your brother did. I think your brother thought it was Manziel 2.0. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Well, I, I think Mayfield has proven that he has the, the inner – inner guts, if you will, going from walk-on, going from a different college, transferring to Oklahoma, you know, his back's been against the wall, so a little cockiness, that doesn't bother me at all. You got to, to get to that point. Yeah, that's and that's why you really hope he's not going to turn into another Manziel, who Manziel has a podcast, by the way, but... Who cares? Nobody listens to I that just, crap. <laughs> I, might, I wish that if I just became like a Cleveland Browns fan, would I be hated for that? If I, if I jumped on the ship right now... I'm done with the line. I won't hate you, Jared. I love you, man. I love you. Well, well, how would you see that? How would you see that move? If you jumped on the Cleveland Browns, I really wish that I could just like trick my brain into becoming a Cleveland Browns fan. There's just something about the Cleveland Browns that I just can't get enough of. I don't know the dog pound, the fact that one day they're gonna have like a euphoric moment. Maybe, maybe not. I just and then you just look at the Lions. The Lions are like the same as the Browns, that are not as well known as being like that. Terrible organization. No, I, I think if you are. jump on the Browns bandwagon, there's there's other good reasons to do it too. That's a franchise that had their guts pulled right out from underneath them when Modell moved them to Baltimore. I mean, the Cleveland Browns were one of the one of the great franchises in the NFL. I mean, they had some superstars. Jim Brown, Otto Graham was a was a All Pro quarterback for like nine straight years. The Browns were one of those teams that, and this is back in my day, guys. So I I know I'm an old grandpa. But, you know, they were right there with the Baltimore Colts, led by Unitas, Bart Starr, and the Packers. The Browns were right there with Jim Brown at running back. And they, you know, the, their greedy owner says, I'm packing up in the middle of the night, heading to uh, Baltimore. 
and then the, the league said, well, you're going to get the Cleveland Brown name back, and we're going to give you an expansion team. So I think that's that would be a great move to jump on that team maybe as – is it going to be your first team, or is it going to no, be behind I'm, the Lions? That's what I – I wish it could be my first. I just I love the Lions. I wish I didn't. I think we all wish we had. A, we're a fan of a different team. Right. But Jim Brown. What do you, What do you think happens if you throw Jim Brown in today's game? Oh my God! Are we going to have this argument again? <laughs> it's just, you know, I, mean, I always hear his name like he's the best ever. I, I know, know you throw this stuff out there, but by the time Matt and I are done with you, and your dad was done with you last week, I, I always think that you're going to start crying when we give you all the stats. <laughs> I really do. I just say, I mean. You, Jim Brown happens for when Jim Brown meets Vince Wilfork? I mean, that's just the way. <laughs> Jim Brown, Jim Brown would, meet Vince Wilfork. Jim Brown would <laughs> definitely be a stud in today's game if, if, if you could Poe. transfer. I, just, I don't know. He would be, in my opinion. I mean, I watched him play. Guy was unbelievable. He was an All-American. Uh, I, I believe he was an All-American lacrosse player at Syracuse, along with football. He did, was tough. He was tough, and he was fast. Did you watch him, or did you I did listen not to watch him on the radio? I did not watch him <laughs> play lacrosse. Listen to his accolades on the radio. No, I did watch him play football, Jared. Yes, I did. Oh. Yeah, how about that? That's, that's the one thing I always wonder about guys back in the day is if their if they're athleticism would translate into today's game because today's game you've got offensive linemen and defensive linemen that run faster than some running backs would back in the day, so – I know Jim Brown was a world-class athlete, but sometimes I wonder about that. Yeah, but we here's here's the argument we gotta we gotta talk about. You can't say the Jim Brown of the 1960s and the training regiment they had then, and then just say, well, let's go back in the future and hop in the DeLorean and have him go play today. No, you you can't do that argument. You gotta you got to respect the fact that if you take Jim Brown and his athletic ability with all of today's training standards, he would be a whole different beast. That and that's where my my dad he pulls out this whole little like uh, he study. Be. He says that Jesse Owens would beat Usain Bolt if they if he had ran on the same track. I'm, well, you know, your dad and I think a lot alike on some of these things. Not the training, just he would just he, put he, him in the spikes, he, put him in the equipment, the blocks, give him time to like. The Jesse Owens of 1936. Yes. Well, I might argue with that one with your dad. <laughs> I'm talking the training standards nowadays. Yeah, no, that, yeah I agree with that. Okay. With some guys, I mean. even Bob Cousy in the NBA. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, before we wrap up this uh, this show tonight, a little pop culture, all right? Let's finish with uh, a couple of TV show recommendations I'd like to give you and our listeners, all right? Number one, I don't know if you guys have followed the story, and, and my wife and I are big Dateline and 48-hour fans. We love those murder mysteries, that type of thing, but did, have you followed the case with the uh, Golden State murderer? Back in the seventies and eighties, did you see any the of the wild stories? I don't understand it though. Can it's an it's describe? an unbelievable story. Check it out on Headline News HLN. Okay, there's a you can do it on on demand. There's five parts. It's called Unmasking a Murderer, and the whole background of the story is this this guy back in the seventies and eighties would rape and kill all these people in California. I think he ended up with like seventy one different assaults, killed twelve different people, and just disappeared. And the case was a cold case forever. And the way they were able to get DNA was, you ever see these, uh, these sites out there where you can send your DNA in and they, they trace your ancestry? Yeah, like Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com, yeah. exactly. Well, they did, they did a search of that 
and and found a, a DNA match to basically his relatives. I can't go into a lot of details on exactly how it all worked, but they were able to find it on this type of site, and they were able to track down the 72-year-old former policeman, and that's who they think it is. And there's going to be more stories about this coming up. But if you get a chance to watch it, it sets it all up perfectly on HLN. What does this have to do with, like, it doesn't Patton Oswald's wife have something to do with this? Patton Oswald, yeah, absolutely. She, uh, she was intrigued by this case, and uh, she did a book on it. You know, trying to trying to figure out this killer's uh, how what he was all about, and she had figured out that he was either a military guy or a police guy, and, and she had that already figured out before any of this DNA stuff came oh, out. That's cool. So it's a, it's a great story, something I think both you guys would be interested in. Another one that I just can't get enough of. Do you know who Hank Azaria is? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, from the from the Simpsons, right? Yeah. But he uh, he plays a guy called Brockmeyer. Have you heard of that show? I've watched it. You don't like it? Great. My family, I thought it was okay. My family didn't approve. So ever since then, it's been, <laughs> it's been shut off. And, my, and you know how our TV works. We have one account. Yeah, one you have account. no say. Have no say. You got a superintendent salary there now. Get cable for crying out loud. <laughs> I know it's a joke. <laughs> uh, just last night, he was night. He was. Go I, ahead, burn him. Burn him. Going another tangent here. Just last night, I was trying to watch the. Uh, was it the Cavs? Right, yeah, Cavs Raptors. Yeah. And, and he kept shutting me off, and I we kept going back and forth. It's kind of a funny little game. Yeah. But. He was nice. I like just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not even gonna watch it. He was nice enough to text me. He said, "Hey, it's going to overtime. You want you want to come out here and watch it?" So at least he did that. <laughs> what was he watching? He was watching it out. In the, I was watching it on my iPad in my room. He was watching it on the TV out there. <laughs> yeah, spend time with your dad and watch it in the living room, Jerry. Yeah, why not? That's the part I'm missing. I don't understand how he stays up till like midnight and then he wakes up at like five, like four. I don't know how he does. He's it's, a maniac. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. But I do like the show Brockmire. It's about a a, a drunken. Baseball broadcaster that Brockmire, yeah, he got tossed out of the game, and it's about his comeback, but it's hilarious. A little tip for yeah, our he's, listeners: he's good. He's been making his rounds a lot. Uh, Levitard has been having him on quite a bit. He's he's a funny guy. Oh, I did see that. They got a lot of takes where uh, where he what's he do? He talks about coaches or celebrities in the yeah, Brockmire. I mean, they've had him do a ton of stuff. He did. Uh, he read all their NCAA tournament picks. That was and it. Simpsons voices because he does all basically the best all show the ever. Simpson voices. Might be. Uh, he did all that. He he's done some segments on the show as Brockmire. So yeah, he he's been making his rounds. All right. Well, that's my tip for the night. You guys got any tips on television or must see TV? Coach Snoop. Coach Snoop. It's on Netflix. Check it out. Okay. Here, that- you want to hear one of his lines as a head coach? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so he's yelling. He's, he coaches the Pee Wee team, right? And he says, uh, "That's a DDD." He, he put his dick in the in, his, in the dirt. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> now is, is it, that was when his players sacked like their quarterback. <laughs> he's just, it's it's must watch. Now it's is a short, current, quick watch. Too. Is this current or is this just came older? out probably in fo- during football season? It's probably oh. when they came out. So the the film actually is from like last football season. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. How about you, uh, Matt? You got anything? New girl. Oh, kid. Girl. New girl on Fox. Love it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I can't say I'll tune it. Why? Yeah, give me your sales pitch. Why should I watch New Girl? Schmidt is my guy. Schmidt is hilarious, and Nick Miller is really hilarious too. This is the last season, so you catch up on Netflix, Ooh. and and you'll 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 appreciate it. Have Good to, stuff. Have to check that out. Well, stay tuned <laughs> to this scintillating podcast in the future for future. Pop culture references. If I, ever, if I ever have a girlfriend, that's what I'll turn on right there. New girl. Hey man, that, my wife show. got me into it, so I, I'm not gonna. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I got a chick one I watch. Uh, did you guys ever watch the Gilmore Girls? No. It's actually pretty good. That's also on Netflix. I'll take your word on that one. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. I think that's enough grief for me tonight, guys. Uh, just uh, just want to share this, uh, or I want to tell our listeners, share this pod with all your friends. We'd love to get your feedback. Email us. That's probably the best way, 3pointpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Z92.5SportsGuy. Matt, you're at Burnsy381s. And Jared? Uh, at Jared Patel. And, of course, Jack Strap has his own spot, Jackstrap88. And again, I want to thank our special guest, Adam Stanko. You can follow him on Twitter at NaismithLives. Do you have any other spots there also, Matt? Uh, well, he's got his podcast, um, but I think he mostly lives on, on Twitter. And uh, any, I mean, any hoops nights or any, any big sports nights, I would definitely check out his, uh, his Twitter feed. Yeah, he's got a nice Twitter feed there to uh, check, check out. I followed him myself. And I also want to tell our listeners, don't forget to support our sponsors, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, and Z92.5 The Castle. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.